This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. As a man, you know, one of the most helpful verses to me in the scripture is Proverbs 14.4, and I'll give my own loose translation of it takes a lot of shit to make good soil. That's the bottom line. Story one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 93. Guys, we are just itching one episode closer to episode 100. And while I'm on that topic, I've kind of got a problem. Because as a podcaster, episode 100 is that big, it's kind of like your first wedding anniversary almost, I feel like. But to be honest, I have yet to record episode 100. And I'm a little bit stuck on who should I get to be episode 100? So if you have an idea, if you have someone that I should have the balls to reach out to and try to get on this podcast, have a conversation about fatherhood, please drop me an email, ben at militaryveterandad.com or Instagram, ben, sorry, at ben underscore colloy. I'd love to hear your ideas. It's itching closer and closer, getting a little nervous. I'm positive just like everything on the podcast, it'll unfold just the way that it's supposed to. But if you have an idea about who that should be for this episode number 100, drop me a line. I'd love to hear it. And I'd love the challenge or the Pepsi challenge to try to go out there and get them. Probably if someone throws out the name Jocko, I'm probably not going to get Jocko. I hear he's not the easiest guy and you really got to work on him for months in order to get a response in order to get booked on his podcast or to have him come on your podcast in this case. But Nevertheless, moving on. So this episode number 93 is with a man that I feel like I've known my entire life, but I've only known for about two. And that guy's name is Morgan Schneider. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last few months over the summer, Morgan Schneider is someone that's been on my heart. He's been someone that I went on a journey with in the woods in the beginning of July with my good friend, Dan Zaner. We talked we didn't talk to Morgan Schneider, but he actually created a video for us because he is good friends with Dan that I went with, and he gave us a video and a send-off before we embarked on our trip from Galena, Illinois, back in July. And then we listened to his book, Becoming a King, on Audible pretty much the entire way, all the way up to Lake Superior. And it just, like he uses the words in this episode of Excavated, it was just like he excavated my path and my soul through the journey of going into the woods 
And it was such an honor to have this episode. So let me just tell you a little bit about Morgan Schneider and why he is awesome. Morgan Schneider is a grateful husband of over 20 years, a proud father of wildly creative and witty daughter, and a joyful and passionate son. He serves as a strategist, entrepreneur, teacher, writer, and speaker. His passion is to both be shaped by and shape the men and women who are shaping the kingdom of God. In 2010, he established Become Good Soil a fellowship of leaders whose global reach offers guidance for the narrow road of becoming the kind of person to whom God can confidently entrust the care of his kingdom. Morgan served on the executive leadership team at Wild at Heart and has contended for a wholeheartedness of men and women alongside John and Stassi Eldridge for more than two decades. Morgan goes off the grid every chance he gets, whether bow hunting in the Colorado wilderness or choosing the adventurous life with his greatest treasures, his wife, Sherry, his son, Joshua, and his daughter, Abigail. There's a good joke in his book that he uses, and I'll throw it out to you guys, that he says when he goes in the woods with John and they come back empty, they call it armed hiking because you go in the woods with the rifle and you're just hiking. If you don't point anything out, they just went on a little bit of an adventure called armed hiking. So take that one with you. Probably didn't roll it as good as the punchline as he does it in the book, but... It still works. But guys, this episode is going to cut through so much BS. Because to be honest, when I recorded the episode, I thought I was impacted. But when I re-listened to the episode, getting it ready for you guys, it hit me in an entire different way. And if you want to hear how it hit me in an entire different way, stay tuned and I'll see you guys on the other side of this episode. But for now, let's get started with Morgan Schneider. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Hey, great to be with you, Ben. It's awesome to connect with you before the show, and I'm super stoked to dial in with you. I am super stoked because for the listeners, this is Morgan Snyder, the person that I talked about in the book, Becoming a King, when I went into the woods for six days and really opened up so many new paths of how my thought patterns of taking the roads less traveled, just there are no shortcuts in life, enjoying the abundance of life. This is a man that has helped open up being able to have a conversation with God, I mentioned in one of my Fatherhood Fridays that after going into the woods and listening to his book, I felt comfortable enough having a conversation as a son to God and to the Father, and that was one of the first times that I've had a conversation. And it sounds funny to say it that way, but that was something that was really hard for me, and this man and his story of 20 years going through what he went through really helped open up me and the way he approached it with the Father and the Son relationship. It spoke to me in a way that very few books have, and I'm excited to bring you this interview and podcast episode today. So Morgan, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe a little bit of a short story of your life that you can share with us? Yeah, where would I start? I think um, we were chatting about this right before we hit record. This past weekend, I had the joy of taking my son on his first archery hunt for antelope. And he's been hunting with me since he was two and a half years old in every version that you can at that age. It's big foam balls on wooded dowel rods, stocking 2000 pound boulders. But now he's 16 and thanks to COVID and football being canceled, I got him hunting archery. And, and Ben, I'm thinking I'm in the blind with him. I, I set up some different blinds, public land kind of DIY hunt, Northwest Colorado. And uh, I'm watching him. And what I observe in my son is like a mini me, but with a whole heart. And what I mean by that is I see me in him. I see the certain gifting. I see the certain mannerisms. I see the things that make him come alive. He's uniquely himself, but he, we have a lot in common. 
But what he has done is taken the process of initiation from zero to 16 in a way that's been consecrated and under God's care and in God's connection. And he's been fathered by a man who's walking with God. And he's in the context of a larger community of uncles that we've developed and established and fought for, as you said, over 20 years. And the fruit of it is just awe. Because what it shows me in contrast was I was also an intense young boy becoming a man. And biologically, I became an older man, but it didn't initiate the boy. And so I even had a radical conversion to to the Christian faith in college. And it was a coming to a deep trust and confidence in God. But what I would say, Ben, is I still found that I was a boy in a man's body. I was a boy in a man's world. What I lacked was a path and a process of initiation and restoration. And so there's a lot more to say, but in this moment, the next 20 years marked my response to God's invitation to start asking questions. What is the path? What, is the, what do I do with dreams and desires? What do I do with my pain and my unresolved addictions? What's the most important thing? And I took those questions to older mentors and sages and with the warrior heart in me, I, I just was relentless until I found an answer. And what I found wasn't an answer, but it was a path and a process to become the kind of man in whom God is glad to entrust more and more the care of his kingdom. And it's not something new, but it is something being newly recovered in pockets around the globe. And it's been my privilege over 20 years to walk with men and watch that work happen in me and in them. And so I'm still in process. I'm still unfinished, but my life's work embodied in becoming a king is to watch men become those kind of men that God can be happy to entrust the care of his kingdom. Is this the son that you were in the woods with that also when you were, when he was maybe four or five said you were both brothers? It was right. It's Joshua. And right. I was three, he was three years old. My wife was in a treatment facility for severe anxiety and depression, and I was Superman, right? Put on the cape, super dad, super Christian, super husband, and it was hurting everyone, unbeknownst to me, most importantly, myself, and I broke down, and I remember my wife's in a hospital. My daughter, who's breastfeeding, is is close with her because she's newborn, And my son strapped in a car seat and I just walked out of Home Depot returning something for my dad. And I literally collapsed on the asphalt under the weight of it all. And and every man knows that weight. It's a different version for every guy, but it's just the weight of it's up to me. I need to make it happen. I need to get something going. I need to make a little money. I need to make a name for myself. I need to be a good man. And I collapsed. And by God's grace, I was able to get back in the truck and drive my son home. And, and that night, Ben, we were laying, I, I write about this in the book and unpack it deeper, but we were laying on twin mattresses at my parents' house of all places. I'm back in my childhood bedroom and, and Joshua's nose to m- nose with me having the time of his life. You know this with your kids. They have dad. It's, it's everything's perfect. It's probably a camping to him. Exactly. It was. And, and he said, Daddy, we're brothers. And I said, I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's so cute. But that's not true. I'm your dad. And, and the Holy Spirit said, stay there. Don't miss this. And so I said, Joshua, why are we brothers? And he, he looked at me like perplexed. And he's like, Dad, God is your father. 
and God is my father and that makes us brothers. And I was crushed at the conviction of I had repeated the generational sin of trying to be the strongest man in my world. And so, yeah, it was that day I said to Joshua, I'm sorry, you're right. We are brothers and God is our father. And I've tried to be the strongest man in your world and you need someone stronger than me. And the good news is we both have him. And so you have my word that I commit to praying every day on this day and every day forward that God would be our father and we would be his sons and we would become the sons that we truly are. So that was age three. And here he was age 16. He's bigger than me, faster, stronger, braver, more true. And and now he's leading me in a lot of ways. That's the part that you don't realize when you have kids is that by having your heart beat outside your body, that oftentimes in the early ages, they are the mirrors to your weaknesses and the places where you need to, to do the focus. Like I would say, when you get triggered from your kids, that's the places where you need to dig deeper because it's more about you than it is about them. And they become that person that can help create a better version of you. I, you always often hear a dad saying like, my kid is the best thing that ever happened to me because they often were looking for that positive thing and that joy, that pure joy in them helps us as men. I mean, I'm a more excited, more fun. I think I probably, before being a dad, I took my life too serious being a Marine. All of the things of, well, you talk about even getting your fit, your toenails done and all the things that your daughter has taught you about just letting go and not caring and just being present with that. Like you need that type of, creativity in your life to really feel yourself. And that's what you've kind of brought to yourself as well. Yeah. It's, it's always a work of excavation. You know, if you really want to know the condition of a tree, it's not until the storm comes that you see really the root system. It's not until a drought comes that it exposes whether or not those roots are deep enough to be in a water table that can provide, you know, sustaining, living water in times of drought. It's not um, different for a man that we build kingdoms, we build bank accounts, we build reputations, and we neglect the most important things, the foundation on which it all stands. And it's not until the storm comes that it really reveals the condition of the soil and the condition of the soul. And so you're exactly right. That's our frontier. And it takes a lot of courage to look, to see the check engine light on the dashboard of our soul and to get curious about what's going on underneath the hood. What needs attention? And you talked about, I love what you said about there in the oak tree and the roots, because one thing I really liked about your book was the analogy of the good soil that don't focus on the fruits of your life, but actually the quality in which the roots are growing. And because that almost automatically creates the better fruits, like what we were talking about before I didn't record was being a better dad and just having fun being a better dad won't pour over in other areas of your life. And it just happens naturally. And I, interesting enough, like before reading your book, I was just kind of been unpacking this definition of masculinity. I never could really felt like I had a definition that I really resonated with. And I was doing some Tony Robbins work in December of last year. And he really, I don't think he said it this way, but this is how my brain converted it of masculine energy is like being the oak tree in someone's storm and your own storm in many cases that you need to be able to be unwathered in the storm, whether it be your wife's storm, whether it be a category five storm that she brings you that day with her energy and just whatever she's bringing that, that oak tree needs to be able to withstand. And then when you connect it to the good soil and having the roots and the excavation of understanding what really that is, 
like that whole definition of masculinity really all went together perfectly for me. Can you unpack a little bit about why the excavation is so important and what it's actually, when you started excavating what you found in your life? Yeah, man, it's, it's deep waters. And I think just to be really frank, I hope this will be appropriate with the audience, but just to speak out of honesty, um, as a man, you know, one of the most helpful verses to me in the scripture is, um, Proverbs 14, four, and I'll give my own, um, loose translation of it takes a lot of shit to make good soil. That's the bottom line. If you want good soil, you know where it comes from and something closer to the vernacular you can say in church, you know, as it says in there, the guy's looking at a stable and he's saying where the oxen are present, there's a lot of life, but there's a harvest yielded, but where the oxen are present, the manger is not empty. In other words, if you want life, you're going to need oxen, but if you're going to have oxen, there's going to be a lot of crap in those stables that you're going to need to shovel a lot of life, a lot of crap, no crap, no life. So the question isn't, do you want crap? The question is, do you want life? And I want life. I'm a hedonist. I want life. And we all are actually hardwired for life. If we could peel back the layers, Ben, every human soul shares this in common. We all want life and we don't know exactly where to find it. And we don't know how to really make it last. And so that's the beautiful invitation of the gospel, that the response of God to our soul is that it's not up to us that we were actually born into a story already at work at which God is the center, this heroic Trinity of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. We're not the center of our own story. We're not the master of our own destiny. We're actually born into a story that's more beautiful than any story we have ever dreamed of. And we have an irreplaceable role in that story. And so the question is, what if, what if that we, we're born into a God-bathed world, as Dallas Willard says, a God-breathed world, a God-initiated world. What if God has an eternal strategy for our masculine soul and that it's to rule and reign over some domain entrusted to our care? What if it begins now? And what if the primary work that we are meant to um, give ourselves to is becoming the kind of person that can rule. You know, Dallas Willard said, the most important thing about a person is not what they do, it's who they become. And so your question of the roots is the question that I begin every day is, who am I becoming? Who have I become and who am I becoming? Those are some of the central questions of masculine initiation. You gave a lot there to unpack, but I want to go in one area in particular that many veterans really struggle to accept that the excavation, that it is their shit. And veterans come out of, you talk about Navy SEALs in the book a lot. Every veteran has so much baggage in many cases that we just kind of stack on shelf. We just put it on a shelf and we can hope we can live our life without ever having to deal with it. How do you take that moment and like, I'm sure it was a similar moment for you. Like, how do you face the the idea that I have to go through the shit to get where I need to go? Like, because that's not natural for many men to even acknowledge to themselves. So how do you get that first step into the shit to actually get to the place where you need to be? 
Yeah, it's it's a really important question. And I want to speak specifically to veterans because I think they're a good kind of category of people. I spend a lot of my time with veterans. So I have a deep appreciation for that story. Um, I was sitting in an office with one of my mentors years ago, basically there to complain. I was looking for someone to make me feel good and sympathize with the crap that was my marriage and what I was having to deal with. And yet I was also further, far enough into my marriage and doing the excavation that I knew on some level, she's not the problem. She's not, what I can deal with is my side of the street. And what I contend with is my story. And that's the, what I can control is the person I'm becoming. But I wasn't there fully yet. So I was griping, Ben. And I remember my mentor, he paused. And he said, Morgan, the way you relate is causing harm to the people you love the most. And I get emotional just saying it now because that really sucked. And below the suck, Ben, I was ready to feel the sadness of that, of going, here I am trying to be Superman, trying to be amazing. And the fact of the matter is the way I relate with the people I love the most, I can cause a lot of harm. And I think I would just say, I got to my bottom. I, one of my mentors, Chuck Bolton says, you got to find your bottom. And, and he works with a lot of people in addiction recovery. And he says, if they haven't found their bottom, there's not much you can do. So let them do their thing. So I would say to those guys, if they think it's working, like they'd say in Australia, get on you, mate, like keep going, keep doing that thing because you haven't suffered a lot and you can waste your pain. But ultimately the choice is either between humility or humiliation, but there isn't a third choice. And so I got to the point where I said, I no longer want to harm the people I love the most. And so it actually took more courage, that warrior in me, took more courage to deal with my heart as a man than it did for the heroic, you know, pursuits that I do in an external level of adventure and sacrifice. It actually was the biggest risk to say, I'm worth it. I'm worth doing this work. And I no longer want to cause harm to the people that I love the most. What, do, what are they going to say when I'm dead? What are they going to say about me? Because I've heard some really terrible things said about men, about from people that were close to men who appeared to be really good heroic men on the outside that the world thought was awesome, but they actually brought harm to the people that they love the most. And I don't want to be that guy anymore. There was a story that you didn't mention so much in your book that or at least that I can directly remember, but you mentioned it in the podcast episodes you recommended for marriage. And it was about the sermon on the mound from Jesus and the speck of sawdust in their eye while the people ignore the timber in our own eye. Can you speak to a little bit about that and how, because I think that relates to the idea of what you're talking about and how you were hurting others and for that speck of sawdust in theirs. Yeah, it's huge. You're referring to, I have a podcast series, Become Good Soil is a podcast. We are just touching the surface here. It's Getting Naked is kind of the mini series there. If you Google search it, only search it on becomegoodsoil.com. Don't Google search that on Google. And don't tell your wife, Morgan told you to do it. But yeah, there's a lot more in there. But just for this moment, I think what I was struck by in that, Ben, is out of our pain, it's very easy for us to think if we could just 
if something or someone else would change, I would be doing better. And we can all fill in those blanks. 100% of us can point to something that's true and valid. If that could change, if they could change, then I would be doing better. And that's just the fundamental recipe for codependency. When a maturing heart begins with, what can I do to become the kind of person that can bring strength in love to this relationship or this situation? And the granite mountain firefighters, I'm for, I'm a, the, the name of the movie is escaping me, but uh, the hot shots, do you know which film I'm talking about? No, um, it's I'm horrible phenomenal. at films. <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a phenomenal film. Um, Granite Mountain Hotshots, look it up. But there's this amazing sequence where basically this young punk, you know, addict, can't get his life together, wants to become a hotshot, gets a girl pregnant. And so he, he needs to basically play the man. And this older man takes a chance on him. He's the commander of the uh, hotshot battalion. And they go in and it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a boot camp. It's a initiation process. And, and this guy takes a chance when no one else wants to give him a chance. And then the younger man matures. He starts growing up and he realizes the kind of man I'm becoming, I actually want to be home for my daughter. And I don't want to be out in the hot shots. I want to actually not, I want to be in the regular civil portion of firefighting so that I can have a little bit more of a normal job. And the older man just goes ballistic on him and calls him out and shames him, fills him contempt, curses. And, and what surfaces was that older man's rage was coming out of his younger place of unhealed trauma, but he's a man who it's not known in the story till then. He had gone through addiction recovery. He had gotten enough of his heart back to the next day come to the younger man and say, that thing, he calls him Donut. That's his call name. And he said, hey, Donut, come over with me. And he said, that thing that I said to you yesterday, he said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. That was not about you. That was about me. And here are the key words. He says, we see things not as they are, but as we are. And I think, Ben, it is the secret to marriage. It is the secret to parenting. It's the secret to true masculine friendship. When we can understand that none of us see clearly we're all seeing through a lens shaped by our, our um, story of origin, our family of origin, shaped by our trauma for warriors of what they've seen in battle. I mean, when I, when I walk into a dark space, a public space, my wife is taking in all the beauty and she's noticing the intricacies of the beauty. I'm looking for where is the clear and present danger? Where is the crucial threat? What do I, what's my extraction plan? What do I do when all the shit goes down? She's not thinking about that, right? But a lot of that comes out of trauma for me and in a warrior ethos. And so we see things not as they are, but as we are. And so that's where I think Jesus is so adamant about saying, whatever the presenting issue is, we have to understand first, you have a speck. I have a plank. I mean, he's using this gross exaggeration to give perspective, to say that thing that's driving me crazy about my job, my marriage, my children, my government, whatever that thing is, that's a speck 
In other words, it's negligible. It's sawdust compared to the plank in my eye. And at first you just want to scream and say, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. Like this is Jesus. So let's give him a chance. And he says, first, tend to the, the, the plank in your eye in order that you might see clearly to help your brother, to help your nation, to help your wife. So I have come to a deep conviction that however I see, it's not clear. There are ways I'm not interpreting clearly, but what I can do is shape the person I'm becoming. And the person I'm becoming is a person that constantly has to look at where am I vulnerable, where my brokenness, my unhealed trauma, the agreements I've made with lies about my own identity um, are actually causing me to not see clearly. And as we heal our own lens, we begin to see in a way that's not only more true to reality, but we see it through the lens of love. And so we can approach the people in our world, not to fix them, to make us feel better, but to bring a genuine and strength in love that's separate from outcomes or circumstances that we can't control that are conditional for our peace. There is so much within that validated many things that there's advice that I repeat often that you can't love your wife and be right at the same time. And that as you focus on your change, you begin to become a mirror for them to see their own change. And what you expect in others is really you need to be able to expect in yourself. So that unpacked exactly what I've been talking about the podcast in so many different ways. Can you go a little bit further and talk about how you actually, what those moments were like when you started to see the change in your marriage a little bit? Um, I think one of the best ways to get there is I got better and Sherry got worse for a while. And here's what I mean by that, Ben, is I got to the point where I finally said, I realized the one thing that I can control is the person that I choose to become. And it was humiliating to realize I might lose my marriage. My whole life is fighting for the restoration of people's hearts and marriages. I might lose my marriage. You know, they, they told me at one point that I needed to remove all the knives from my house because my, my wife was a threat to her own life. I said, I might lose my children. Like, I'm losing everything that matters. And it, it took that moment of desperation to say, what I can control is the person that I'm becoming. And I had created a dysfunctional atmosphere around our marriage where you know, people learn to, we relate to everyone in our own dysfunction. Every family is functionally dysfunctional. Every organization is functionally dysfunctional. Our military is functionally dysfunctional, right? We all know that. We, we orient around dysfunction, but that doesn't have to, have to be the end of any story. And so I began basically, simply the first step was I took back my report card from my wife and I realized she's not the report card. And, and I didn't know until that day of how much she was the report card. I took off the Superman cape. I realized I actually was trying to be Sherry's husband and also her father and her counselor and her best friend. And I sucked at all those things except for being a marginal husband. And I said, that's not helpful. I'm taking off the Superman cape. I'm going to become me. And I actually don't really know who I am. And so I'm going to go on a quest. 
And so I began doing the excavation. I began seeking my own help. I began sitting at the feet of mentors. I began disentangling my need for validation from how, how my wife is doing on any given day. I began setting healthy boundaries. And over time, the most miraculous thing happened. My wife began to heal. She began to, um, you know, she loves God. And, and she also had her own immaturity and her own trauma to deal with. And what I didn't know, Ben, and, I'm, and, and I have to fight to not go to shame. But what I didn't know at the time is how much my pressure, my intensity to be a good man, to be a warrior, to be the, the loving leader of my household was actually putting a wet blanket on my wife's soul. She felt like a little bird in a cage and I had the key and I had no idea. If you would have seen us from the outside, you would have thought I was crushing it. But I had no idea how I was hurting her. And so over time, it gave her permission to begin to heal. And fast forward over a decade now, and I can tell you, though, I couldn't control these outcomes. Like, she is thriving. She's doing better than I could have ever dreamed. And I'm thriving. And we are unfinished. And we're not without our battles but we are doing really well, uh, better than I could have ever imagined. And so the story has much hope. That gives a lot of people out there because there is a lot of marriage, especially in the military. Military is one of those where it's already hard under normal circumstances to be married. And in the military, you have everything that goes with it. You have deployments, you have separation, you have more anxiety, you're doing life alone. The mom has to be the man and the, the dad and the mom for many years, or not many years, but months while someone's deployed. And I often talk about marriage as like a credit card that when a husband's deployed or the spouse is deployed, doesn't matter. They're borrowing time and you have to make sure you pay that back with interest because that credit card will eventually go bankrupt. And it's so important to just recognize that what you tried to do, and there's just as much truth in there for me that you you can't try to fix someone, whether you're a spouse listening to this episode or whether you're a husband listening to this episode, so much of our wanting desire to fix things is often what gets in the way. And what you're talking about is turning that off and focusing inward in this case to really just focus on your own journey. Did you ever have a hard time separating like the emotions of desiring the feel love, but then also just kind of like, because I can imagine sometimes you had to close yourself off a little bit just to protect yourself from the feelings or sadness in some cases, or maybe even just the realization that this was my life sometimes. Did you ever suffer through the, the balancing of those emotions? Every day, every hour, this morning before we got on this call, right? So, but here's the thing, Ben, is there is a caricature of the warrior that's really different than a true warrior with a whole heart. Those are very different things. And only one is real. You know, Jesus says, he talks a lot about the heart and he goes after the heart he digs into what's happening below the waterline. You know, an iceberg is always 10% above the waterline and 90% below. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart because from it flows the wellspring of life. And we have a masculine soul. 
or a feminine soul. We are creating the image of God as man or as woman. It's so important to remember this. You will be a man forever, for eternity. Your soul has a masculine DNA to it or feminine if we have you know women listening. But here's the idea of we have to have a heart to actually thrive in a brutal, mad world. And so we think we can compartmentalize and we can just shut down our heart. And that's a lot of what happens in war is we shut down and we make it happen and we do what we need to do and whatever that version of war is, whether it's specific or metaphor. But if you live a life of the heart, the heart is is alive and it takes on trauma that must be healed. And so what I want to go back to is you said something important, you know, we have to do hard things. And what I would suggest is what you just described, the life of, for example, the veteran who's deployed, who's trying to be a good man, who's trying to love his family, and he's seeing terrible, unjust things every day. It's not just hard, it's impossible. And here's the difference is we do hard things. That people listening to this podcast, they do hard things. We get trained to do hard things all day long. I no longer want to do hard things. I only want to do impossible things. And that's the distinction is hard things I can do in my own strength, but impossible things are me choosing to live a life relentlessly where I say it is impossible to do this without God. And I'm not talking about creedal statements and some religious philosophy that you put on your door. Like I'm talking about fundamentally a with God life, a moment by moment cultivation of an intimacy, a relationship and and tapping into a supernatural power that can allow me to do the impossible with God. And so I face it every day, but the alternative is far worse because if you have a heart and we're made with a masculine soul that's alive, that will live forever. There's only two things we can do with it if it doesn't become restored and intact. We can actually kill it and just kill our heart and go numb. And you see that with people all the time. They're medicating, right? We just medicate whatever that is to kill it. Or it goes underground and it goes sideways. And we find ourselves giving our strength over to things and people that we just go, where did I go? Who have I become? And so the only alternative from killing it for it to go underground and come out sideways is to allow God to restore it and heal it and transform it through a process of initiation over time. And that is available. It's not cheap. It's not quick. It's not easy, but it is life and it's available to everyone if they choose. You know, and it doesn't, you say impossible, but impossible isn't as big of a word as we often would immediately think it'd be. And I'm brought to a moment this Saturday where I've had a pile of rocks in my driveway from a landscape project I started in June, procrastinated all summer. And it's a pretty big pile of rocks. So it's taken up most of my driveway. And I was like, I got to get this done. And something hit me on Saturday. It wasn't planned. I was just got finished breakfast. I'm like, I'm going to take a shovel outside. I'm going to start digging the grass. I'm going to start landscaping because I'm going to make a dent on this. I kept just going, going and going. Lo and behold, by 7 p.m., I had the bushes, the rocks, the stone, everything done. And my daughter had pointed out and she's like, I don't think you've ever started and finished something like this ever. And I was like, I don't think I've ever started and finished something this big that I can remember ever either. And 
it was something that seemed impossible at 11 o'clock. I'm like, I'm going to have a goal to get it done, but I'll probably just fail like I usually do, or I'll just get it done. But there was a rainstorm coming the next time, next day, and I was like, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. That seemed impossible, but when it was done, it felt amazing, and I couldn't help but connect it to your book and the idea of going on an adventure and camping trip this summer and the idea of doing something that was just like I needed to get it done, and I just put my energy into it, and it got done, and now I feel amazing about it a couple of days later about it. And it wasn't something I marinated for a few weeks. Like I usually would have done. I would have started it, did a little bit every day, stressed about not getting it done. It would have been the one thing that would have got all my attention. My garage was the same way. I felt really kind of in a funk this morning. And there's some advice out there. Don't complain about your life. If your car is a mess. Well, my car was pretty clean, but my garage was a mess. So I focused on the mess in my life in the garage. And now I've also cleaned up my head a little bit because I didn't have to face that garage and there's a lot of times like cleaning that garage seemed impossible. It wasn't something I set out this morning. I was like, oh, I don't got enough time to do my garage. It's on my head. I got a thousand other things to do. I probably should be sending down my email, but I did it. And then I felt amazing and my day is still progressed and I've had time for everything. But so impossible isn't as big as we think it needs to be. Well, I, what I appreciate about that story is your daughter, first of all, that she feels safe and loved enough to give you honest feedback. You know, and our, our kids, like they're wonderfully transparent if they have a safe place. And that's really good feedback because she's not talking about the landscaping, though she kind of sort of is, right? It's like the father's whispering something to you. And I believe that he's whispering something celebratory. It's not condemning, but it's part of your initiation to say, right, what haven't you finished that needs your attention and what's in the way of you not finishing? And so I love that. And what I would say in response, you know, St. Francis has this beautiful quote where he said, we have to start with doing what's necessary. And in time, we'll find ourselves doing what's possible. And in time and over time, we will find ourselves doing what's impossible. And it is a progression. There's kindness when it's not up to us and we have a father-centered view of reality. Sometimes you just need to get a shovel and go outside and start doing the work because the, the project is overwhelming and it feels like an impossible task. But if you do what's necessary, if you do the next thing, like you give God an inch and he will come with a mile of blessing and possibility. If you pray the prayer, God you're my, you're my father, but I confess, I think I've learned you wrong. So I invite you to father me and you take one step towards risking like necessary becomes the possible. And over time we find ourselves living an impossible life and it'll change the world. The irony is you also talk about becoming a generalist, which isn't something I've ever really read in a book that you need to become a generalist. Everybody in today's society talk about being a specialist and you even used the landscaping in there because for many months, I was just complaining in my head, God, I wish I made enough money to make this problem go away with and just pay someone to landscape because I absolutely hate landscaping. A lot of it is I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skills, and I just don't feel confident. And it never looks as good as it does when professional. So I would just avoid it. And lo and behold, when I did it in June, I had that feeling I hated it. I probably spent three weeks doing landscaping and it was half the size that I did in one day. And then when I did it this weekend... I was confident. I just got going. I didn't pause for a lot of uncertainty, although I did have an audible because my wife came out as I was shoveling and said, I'd like to use this Pinterest image and change up the design as I had been working on it in my head about how I wanted to work for a month. And I, that created some anxiety tests, but I got through it. 
but I had the confidence going through it. And now that I'm on the other side of that, I feel more confident to do it the next time. But I also feel like what, like what you're talking about, once you become that baseline of going through the challenge of what God has in front of you, of you need to learn these skills because you need to learn new things. And if this is a test that's in front of you, you need to do it. You can always move on to that point where you can pay someone, but don't get to that point in the beginning because you need to go through that. And now I've that, like that landscaping skill, even though I'm not going to use it on my business, it's directly related to my business because now I have the confidence to do something that I didn't think was possible in my business, but it all began by picking up a shovel. Yeah, that's really well said because we're talking about landscaping. But if people are listening clearly, we're talking about something far deeper than landscaping, right? Now, I heard you say, I hate landscaping. And then after that, you said, because I lack knowledge, I lack skill, and I lack confidence. Three-week project. Fast forward, you do more than that project in one day. And you said, I have the knowledge. I have the skill. I have the confidence. It shifted something within your soul. You know, it's been said, I think Ronald Reagan said it, that so often the most important thing for the outs- inside of a man is the outside of a horse. When we live in a world of commodities, because it's the information age and everything's been reduced to the lowest common denominator, there's a false understanding that there's simply a means of exchange of things for money because parts of the masculine soul get atrophied. It's like breaking a bone and having it casted, but when that cast comes off, those muscles have not been used and they're atrophied. And for most of human history, except for a very, very small portion of all of humanity, men were required to become generalists. They were required to know a little bit about a lot of things for basic survival. They were required to develop the whole of the man. And it was on that foundation that they were meant to then develop the craftsman and the unique role that we do have in God's kingdom. And so I don't minimize the specialist, the craftsman, but what's so essential for a man is to recover the process that you just described, where it was through landscaping, but it wasn't about landscaping. And what's so important is you said you hated it, but then you did it. And part of it is you don't have the money to outsource it. Thank God. The problem is when we do have the money, we outsource the very things that God intends for our masculine initiation. And so this isn't about landscaping for the guy that is really comfortable in a boardroom on the golf course with a five-star hotel, but you know, he gets under his car, it breaks down and the tow truck driver comes up and they're looking under the hood And the tow truck driver says the most terrifying question a man could ask a man, what's wrong with it? And the guy's like, I don't know what's wrong with it. I mean, a minute ago it was working and now it's not working. It's broken. What's wrong with it is it doesn't work. Now fix it, right? He's a boy. There's a boy in him that's uninitiated. Here he feels strong in this other realm, but here he's a boy. Now take that tow truck driver and put him at a four-star restaurant with three wine glasses and four spoons and a menu with words he can't even pronounce. And he goes, what the hell is this? Just give me a Budweiser, right? He feels uncomfortable. He feels about eight because he doesn't know how to handle that world. And so my question is for every man, what is your frontier? It's not a caricature. So instead of asking about the thing, 
The question is, where do I feel unsure? Where do I feel uninitiated? Where do I feel uncomfortable around men that are different than me? And it's that fear that we need to step into to recover the whole heart of a man, the foundation that we all share in common. We all have a front, excuse me, we all have a frontier, but it's important to identify it and with courage and vulnerability to step towards it, whatever it looks like for us. That's beautiful. And I often, something I use my lead my life by is that the more something that scares me, the more something's amazing on the other side. And landscaping proved that same case and so many other things like public speaking and everything that, I, even starting a podcast, even asking for you to come on the podcast was something that scared me a little bit. But now here we are talking and it feels amazing to have this conversation with you because the more something scares you, it's like, it's that caveman brain trying to keep you safe, but that safe doesn't get you alive. And it's where you go in, on the other side of that fear that you really start to get into the excavation of who you are and who you are meant to become. Well, Morgan, I really have loved this podcast interview. If you could give one piece of parting advice to military veteran dads, knowing what you've known, working with the veteran community, what's a piece of information that every dad, veteran military dad needs to know about the process about coming home to their family emotionally? Yeah, these are deep waters and I have a lot of compassion. I've seen it. I've seen it go well. And I've seen it blow up and I've walked with a lot of veterans. You know, I had one veteran tell me, Ben, he said he was a sniper in the Middle East and he crushed it. And he said, I've been in a 300 man ambush and survived. And he said, I can handle myself against almost any weapon and any foe. He goes, but when I come home to Texas, I can't handle my world. I can't handle my mortgage. I can't handle my wife. I feel like I live in Afghanistan and I'm deployed to Texas. And Ben, that's really ballsy to say that. That takes a lot of courage. That's a man living with a heart that's been traumatized, but he is not quitting. It's a matter of the heart. And so much of it comes down to identity. And so I would say to that man, who are you without your uniform? Because you have to know who you are apart from your rank, apart from your branch, apart from your assignment. And that goes for every man and every woman. Another way I'd say it to make it more general is who are you apart from your gifting? Because everyone of us is uniquely gifted with extraordinary capacities and talents to bring to this world. And those need to die for a time so that a man who's being initiated can come to know who he is apart from his gifting, apart from his rank, apart from his assignment. Because it's not until we know who we are that we look in the mirror and we say, without a uniform, or without that job, or without that child, I know who I am. I am an image bearer of the living God. I'm a son, and I am deeply loved, and I have what it takes. Until you have that, it's so easy to settle for a smaller story. And when I say a smaller story, what I mean is that warrior in the heart of every one of us, that's 
God in us. We're crafted in God's image, and that's designed primarily for God's story. And so any military assignment is only a temporary assignment, and it's only a partial assignment, but it's an expression of what our role is in the kingdom of God. And we will gravitate towards the largest story our heart ever experiences and encounters. So until God and his kingdom is the largest story that our soul ever experiences, we will always be entrapped to things that are an identity that aren't truly who we truly are. And so my invitation to listeners is to ask the question, who have I become? And the second question of who am I becoming? And what are the stories that you hope are told by the people that are entrusted to your care that you are closest to, beginning with your spouse, your children, your closest friends, and your most intimate community going on in circles beyond that? And so we're just scratching the surface, Ben. And, and for men and women that are listening, there's a body of content. It's over two decades of my formation, working with John Eldridge and Wild at Heart and tending to the unfinished places in my heart. And so if, if people are listening and really feeling like there's something in this and I, I want more and I'm not looking for a shortcut, I want my whole heart back as a man. I want my secret life to go from my great shame to my greatest treasure. I want to have peace in increasing joy. There's a lot more, and you can find that all at becomingaking.com. I highly recommend all of that, and I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes. And it's funny the way you wrapped up that advice of looking in the mirror, because in January, that was a hard question that I had to really acknowledge, that when I looked in the mirror I saw a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin that was never going to do anything. And that story was so powerful that all I could see in the mirror, I knew it was different when I felt in my heart, but on the inside wasn't appearing on the outside because on the outside I still saw myself as that story. And it was COVID that gave me the gift of slowing down and I started the 75 hard health challenges been going around. And that allowed me to step into a world where I lost 20 pounds. I grew a beard, which I've never had a beard in my life. And I felt more alive in the last six months than I've felt alive in the last 35 years. My birthday's coming up. I'm turning 36 this year. And the last six months has done more excavation by focusing on that mirror because I often say that you can't unconditionally love others in your life until you can unconditionally love yourself in the mirror. But you got to remember that it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, that it's the PTSD trauma of losing your friend. It's the maybe divorce or your second divorce, all of that stuff is the good and the bad and the ugly. Until you learn how to love it and understand that that was excavating who you are and right now of what you become and what you're becoming, that's when you can unconditionally love others. And that's what I think you've talked about where when you focus on excavating your own soul, the fruits of your life is that unconditional love that you can give from a whole heart. It's so good. And there is so much fruit. It is worth it. It's worth the cost. Well, th Morgan, thank you for this conversation. You've definitely inspired me. And I'm positive we brought some big dads home with this with conversation because I've been hinting about it for the last few months and I've been looking forward to this podcast interview ever since I booked it. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you guys for checking out this episode. I hope that it excavated you just like it excavated my soul. I felt so, 
I'm not even sure the right word to describe it. I just felt very understood when I had this interview with Morgan and when I read the book, Becoming Good Soil, I've now read it twice. Each time, this is going to be a book that I just probably reread each year because each season of my life, each different chapter is going to hit me in a different way. I'm going to need to be reminded of wisdom of his life at a different time in my life. But I want to hit on one major takeaway that I hope you got out of this episode, and it hit me not so much when we recorded it, but it definitely hit me when I re-listened to it, and that was, who are you becoming? That was so powerful when I was hearing it coming out of his mouth, and when I listened to it, it was something that I didn't hear until I really heard it. And so if you think about all the different things and all the different shit that is going on in your life, whether it be your marriage, your kids, your career, your weight, your health, doesn't matter. If you think of all the shit that is going on in your life, there's only one question that he really gave us to really figure out how to move forward. Because we all have shit. That's the bottom line. Some people move figure out how to move forward. Some people don't. And the question that he really hit me core right in the chest with was, when you're in the pile of shit, who are you becoming in that shit? Are you recognizing that you're becoming who you want to be? Or are you recognizing that this path, maybe fast food every day for lunch or eating a can of, or drinking a can of Coke every day for lunch, all of these things have a root and a seed of who are you becoming with what you are doing? It doesn't matter who you have in your life, what is going on in your life, it doesn't matter. At the core question of all of that shit is who are you becoming? Are you becoming the person that God intended when he created you? Or are you becoming someone that continues to hide from the real truth, to continue to hide from the shit that is your life, to understand how that shit can happen for you, and that that shit will create good soil if you begin to work it. And that was so, so powerful. And guys, just remember, that was something I'm probably going to have in my head for months now. I'll probably even do a special Fatherhood Friday on it just to make sure everybody got it down because anytime I'm going to feel like I'm in the suck, anytime I feel like I'm going to feel sorry for myself, I love when he pointed out that example when he was trying to just get sympathy and it got shut down. Like, guys, who are you becoming with the actions that you are taking? Are you becoming more of who you want to be or are you becoming less of who you want to be? The choice is ours every single day. Nobody else can make that choice. Nobody else can change your life more than you. And nobody's going to give a shit about your life more than you do. That is a core fundamental part that I wish someone would have told me that I could have cut off about probably six or seven years of my life because so long of my life, I outsourced so many things to other people because it was so much easier to blame others for when I didn't get the results that I wanted. Guys, I am the only person that can move my own mountains. You are the only ones that can move your own mountains. And when you are feeling like you are in the shit, whether it be right now when you're listening to this, whether it be an hour ago or whether it's an hour in the future, remember this question, who are you becoming? And guys, I'm going to wrap it up with that question. Hit it right core in the chest. And remember, it takes a lot of shit to make good soil. And I'll talk to you guys again on Friday.